Welcome to On Culture. On this podcast, we talk about culture and faith and the world and our place in it. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support our work and explore all of our content on our website, theembassy.substack.com. Here's Mike. Welcome to On Culture, uh, the podcast of the Embassy Substack newsletter. You can find that at theembassy.substack.com, and you can find this anywhere you can find podcasts. I believe that's true. I haven't checked every single place, but generally speaking, uh, that is the case. I am joined today by Chad Myers, my good friend. How are you doing, Chad? Good morning. Doing well. Good morning. Good morning, people. Um, Chad's a, a pastor at Mount Horeb. Uh, United Methodist Church in Lexington, South Carolina. I believe that is the correct name of the town that you're yeah, currently Yeah, not Lexington, Kentucky. Lexington, South Carolina. Lexington, South Carolina. Um, and we are going to talk today about uh, something called effective altruism, which I don't think is a, is a thing most people are kind of uh, aware of or into. It's something that uh, I've kind of stumbled across Um and it's a trend uh, that I think it's worth noticing, but it brings up a whole bunch of stuff that I think is probably helpful for us to think about and uh, to talk about. Um, if you haven't read the piece, uh, the piece is entitled The Road to Hell is Paved with Effective Altruism. Hmm. So yeah, you get an look. idea of what I, what I think <laughs> about it. <laughs> I think there might be some problems with it, is all I'm saying. Yes. Um, so let me talk just a moment about what, uh, you know, I'll define it very simply uh, for those who haven't heard of it. And most people probably haven't heard of it, uh, but it is uh, this belief that smart, you know, through the resources of intellect and education and money that, you know, we can solve the problems of the world at a grand scale and that it is not just meaning to help people, but that it is effective is that's the, uh, and, and, you know, the, the assumptions is it's long-term, it's big picture. And therefore that's the point, you know, helping humanity is the point. And practically speaking, what happens is whatever helps humanity tends to justify itself on that level. And so, you know, the ends justify the means. And if it helps humanity for me to, um, Oh, I don't know, pay, play fast and loose with other people's money like Sam Bankman-Fried did, who was one of the foremost proponents of effective altruism. You know, if some people's money goes missing, but it helps people in the long run, then it's worth it. And that's sort of, that's a, you know, that's a poor definition, but that's kind of how it goes. The ends justify the means. If the ends are saving humanity, then any means are worth it. And that can go in some some pretty dark places, and and it becomes somewhat self justifying. I write in the article of this experiment, and it was uh, in particular about Elizabeth Holmes, the Theranos founder, who um, who justified her actions of basically her fraud by you know that if we get this thing to work, it'll it'll be, you know be a huge boon to humanity. Uh, and she told herself she was doing good. Sam Bankman-Fried the same way. He called it uh, earning uh, earning for good, I think he called it, where you basically earn a lot of money and you donate it to political causes or to charitable causes. And then how you earn that money then becomes less important. And in fact, if investors' money goes poof, then it's all justified. And I talk about this experiment where 
Uh, it involves lying, but once people are told that their lying benefits instead of them benefits charity, then the lie detector doesn't even pick up the lying anymore. That to them, if it helps, if or it's good, then it's not lying. And I think that's that's it's sort of a small little picture of where effective altruism goes. As long as I can justify it by saying it's helping humanity, then almost anything uh, is on the table. The ends justify the means. Uh, you know, you you told me you hadn't really heard of effective altruism, uh, yeah. and so what are your? I mean, as you read the piece and the quotes and so on, like what are your thoughts? Well, just on your point you just made, is there such a thing as like a Robin Hood complex? Yeah. Because that feels very similar to, um, you know, there are things that need to be done to help people of lesser means, and I get to make the decision to take other people's money or funds, robbing the rich to, to help the poor, and I think at the end of the story, we all cheer for Robin Hood. Like, yeah, yeah. well done. Well done. Yeah. You, you, yeah, it's a romantic idea. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> if you really think about the ethics of the situation, um, how did you decide that you could steal or lie, which are, you know, you could, you could say those uh, are tethered together in the sense mm-hmm. of an ethic. Uh, they're di- distinct, but they're also tethered. Um, when did you decide that you could do that with other people's money and mislead them? With other people's yeah. resources and yeah. that's the basis of you know we you may mention this in the article that that's the basis of uh, trust we agree to something either in writing or we agree um, verbally and you agreed to take my resources and use it for this and you didn't so now I can't trust you or at yeah. least I shouldn't even if you said well I didn't use it for me I right. used it to help help other people. Right. But that's not yeah, what we agreed is, upon. It's interesting. It's ironic because, I mean, there's just so much there. But I think in the long term, and long-termism is one of their, you know, that acting as if the ends justify the means and then having it all blow up publicly. So effective altruism comes to the attention of a lot of people because Sam Bankman-Fried was a proponent of it and he you know, committed fraud at a grand scale, it appears. That's obviously going to, the lack of trust is going to discredit effective altruism, which if they're right about effective altruism is not helping, discrediting it is not helping. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we can't get away from, we can't create our own moral universe and act as if we can create, you know, good by our conception and get away with it. Because I would contend, I think you would contend, we live in a moral universe that we don't, we're not fully in charge of. And uh, even if I become convinced, convinced that the ends justify the means, if you're not, then, uh, or if the ruler of the moral universe is not, then the ends actually don't, don't justify the means. Well, if, if, if there's no moral universe, if there's no sense of justice, even in um, a very unreligious person, then why are these people being charged? Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, obviously, that's that you can't escape the moral universe, even if you want to create it or you think you can, you know, escape it. Um, that the reality is, you can't escape it, and you, and that's part of my, 
part of my problem, my immediate problem when hearing about effective altruism, which I probably just heard about it maybe a year ago, because um, I read about weird things, um, obviously, uh, is, you know, the most good for the most people. Um, and how do you know what's good is the, is the, the first question is if you, th- if I think I know what's good on my own for other people, I, I probably need to be really careful with that because I don't even know what's good for me a lot of the times. You know, in other words, God has to break into our story and speak to us through prophets and teachers and apostles and his voice, you know, himself, uh, so that we know what's good because we wouldn't know it otherwise. And we can't be trusted. We can't be trusted. (laughs) I I mean, bottom line, we can't be trusted with, I know it's good for you and I'm just going to do it. And that's the problem is we're not God, you know, we're created and uh, on our own, the idea that we can just figure out because we're smart, what's good is, is false. I can understand how in a materialistic secular universe, you might think you don't have a choice. That's all there is. But if in fact we don't live in that, if we, in fact we live in a story that 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 God is a ruler, the King of, and we are His subjects, and He determines what's good, then that's 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 we're subject to that. Um, I just think that's a very difficult. I think that's a very difficult idea for all of us. Well, I think you know I, I have two problems with the premise uh, as, as the way you defined it, doing the most good for most people. Um, and like you said, my, one of my foundation, one of my um, problems with that basic premise is it's foundationally arrogant to mm-hmm. say that, especially um, when we're considering different cultures and different countries, that I know what is best for you. Well, well, how do I know that? Why do I know that? Because my country might be more developed. Because, yeah, but I didn't. I was. I was. I was born here. I didn't have anything to do with that. Right. right. And so, you know, just an analogy uh, in the church world is you used to have, maybe still do, you used to have Western missionaries go to continents like Africa and try to make converts. And then they would. And then instead of helping the African converts build and do a church uh, service in their own way with their own kind of cultural uh, norms, uh dances, uh, songs, right. whatever. We, we colonialized, we westernized them. We said, all right, here's your hymn book. Here's your pews. Here's how you yeah. stand. And here's your suit. Yeah. And yeah. it looked like we took an African culture and tried to make it Western. And it feels very yeah. similar. Like there's a, there's maybe not just an arrogance, but an ignorance, an ignorance yeah. of, well, how about you ha- help me understand like what you yeah. need and what would be helpful for you. Uh, so, so that's one of my, uh, it, it feels there's an arrogance and an, and an ignorance there um, to start with. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I mean, it's ironic. It, it, you know, it does sort of smack of the white savior complex that, you know, uh, that the, especially the church is, is often have been accused of and often rightly so as you, you know, as you point out, um, that work here to tell you how to live 
not just, you know, uh, introduce you to uh, our Savior and Jesus. Well, Mike, sorry, um, I, also have a, I also have a challenge with the, the whole assumption of bigger, uh, yeah. more people, most people, bigger is better. Yeah. Like how much right. of that <clears throat> is just the idol of success? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's got to be on the incline. Yeah, I, you know, we're going to run out of time before we okay. talk about all the things that we need to talk about here. Because there's just so many big, like even the idea that humanity is more valuable than individual human lives, I think is not a, that's not a Christian conception, conception that it's to violate individual humanity, individual humans to save humanity is a contemptible ideal in yeah. Christianity. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of what I mean is we just get what's good wrong. We get it wrong. And, and I do think that's, so this is a grand scale sort of thing. And we can kind of see that this, yeah, bigger is better. We're here. Don't worry. We've got this, a super educated and rich people. We're going to take care of the world. Um, good thing we're here. Uh, it is sort of all of that. And it, there's, like you said, there's an arrogance to it. And, a sense in which, obviously, it's self-fulfilling, you know, to them, I think. Uh, and so it raises the question, you know, what is good and how do we know what's good is, is one of the questions it raises. And I think even for you and I, we will get that wrong. And in fact, we can sometimes judge God as not being good, which if you don't I mean, that's sort of a non, in a sense, it's a nonsensical to me uh, concept. Either you believe in God, who is the definition of good, because we don't have another one. Like, you know, as I say, God didn't score 100% on the goodness test in order to get the God job. You know, he defines, he is the test, even though that might be puzzling to us at times. And even though we don't understand it, we have to subject ourselves to the divine definition of good because our definition is going to be worse even if we don't understand his you know that's that's kind of number one like and then what is you know what is valuable about humanity and as if saving humanity is better than loving individual people it seems like a way out of the very difficult and mundane and thankless task of loving individual people like it's almost you know like it's you're it's like, I don't, I don't want to do the hard work. <laughs> I don't right. want to do the hard work. We can't, we wave a magic wand with billions of dollars and we just kind of fix the whole thing. Yeah. And I just think everyone will naturally know our solution is the right solution. Everyone will naturally sign up for it. And that's kind of why I started with the mother in Katsakara where, but you could have talked to any, somebody who works with homeless people and actually has actual help for them. But they don't trust this person. You have to, you have to spend time sitting under a bridge with them before they even trust you to help them. And without that, you're not helping them. And you can call it effective all you want, um, but it, you know, unless you can, it's it's the Mother Teresa. You know, she's she's become she she's in a sense famous for helping people. But she started out and and her whole thing is, I mean, they help people in a thankless way unusually it became public and it became sort of a, uh, a thing that was celebrated, but that's not, was not her goal. And like, that's how people are actually helped typically. And it's going to cost me something. That's just the way the author of our story designed the story. 
that I can't just sit behind in some control panel and manufacture love for all of humanity without, I mean, I have to get my hands dirty. Otherwise it's not, it's not love. Well, I think, I think there's the, you know, popularity of influencers. And I think what the Bible shows us is, um, an incarnational model. Like I have to be with you and identify with you. And in some sense, um, take on your struggle and understand it and understand where you're coming from in your story. And that's what incarnation is, is God becomes flesh, a particular flesh, uh, so that he can identify with us individually in our own particular narrative. If he didn't become a particular flesh and it just kind of was, well, God understands people because he's God, but he really doesn't understand me in my particular situation and what I'm going through. So you see this contrast of what you said was, you know, almost a failure to be incarnational. Uh, I will stand at a distance and we can fix this thing like this. Uh, contrast of Mother Teresa. Um, and there's many other, here's the thing. There's many other people who are have great influence with humanity and they're not influencers. They're not right. self-titled. No one ever knows. You don't ever right. know them. You, you're never going right. to hear their story because they're too busy in a good way being incarnational concerned with the other and that's where Mm -hmm. that's where i think it's a it's a very countercultural notion at least in the article that we're uh, talking about of not just trying to be self-actualized it's not simply i'm going to do better for that person so i can be self-actualized it's i'm giving an emptying of self so that i can help the person so yeah. that I can have the forefront of their flourishing of the other in my in my view. Right. Yeah, and it's it's that's kind of what I mean in terms of we probably wouldn't normally define love that way or, or doing good that way. You know, uh, a cup of cold water, you know, in my name. You know, this is what love looks like. You lay down your life, you know, for your friend. Now Jesus is talking about himself, but he's also just talking about in general you know, husbands are to lay down their lives for their wives. There's, in general, there's this um, denial of self that is at the heart of, I'm not thinking about me when I'm, you know, in a, in a, in a real biblical sense, and none of us achieve this idea, but I'm not really thinking about me when I'm loving you. I'm setting that aside, uh, perhaps at great cost, uh, that, you know, if I could easily, we could easily say, well, if, you know, if this mother doesn't want to take her kid to the learning and feeding center, that's okay. I mean, whatever, her choice, uh, we've made it available. And uh, that's just, we've done our part of the transaction. Uh, but that is less loving than spending it very ineffectively, you know, spending limited time having a conversation. Uh, and you, you think about, you know, the person who, the, the entity who could be most effective with altruism is God, and he appears to behave very sort of ineffectively. Like, you know, he appears as a person in a, you know, non-mass media dominated, uh, you know, part of the, of the world, you know, not rich, not famous, not a king, you know, not able to enact goodness. And, you know, that's not what he came for. He came actually to lay down his life. And 
that actually points to what is the good because the thing that we needed the most was redemption. Not another 10 years of life, but, uh, you know, new life in him that, you know, that's what we needed the most. That is the, the ultimate good that is the basis of all the other goods. And he kind of was very ineffective in coming in, you know, very counterintuitive that, he, you know, his own followers were just like, what's going on? Like, I thought, I thought he'd be like the emperor at this point and we'd be ruling and he'd be enacting good all over the, this just seems really weird because it isn't how we would do it. I mean, we wouldn't do it that way for a number of reasons. One of which is really hard and painful. Uh, the other is, man, it just seems <laughs> ineffective. <laughs> You're right. Well, and you have to be at your core so incredibly secure. And I just don't think humanity is. And, and, and I'm not. You have to be so secure in order to help somebody to let them choose to reject that help. And, and you see the storyline. So one of my concerns with what we're talking about is you see the storyline all throughout uh, books and movies is I'm going to do good and I'm going to help these people. And then they reject my help. Well, at what point do I start making them, mm-hmm. you know, receive my help? Like, well, they don't right. know what's best for them. I'm going right. to, we're going to make them get help. And you just don't see God do that. You don't see him need and be so insecure that I'm going to control or force or coerce or manipulate or use, you know, use some type of uh, violence. Um to me, it's a very different thing than sitting on the porch, talking to the mother, using persuasion to say, hey, what's going on? I think this would be good for you. I think this would be helpful. Um, at what point does, do, does this spirit of effect, ineffective or effective altruism fall prey to, well, we're going to just make people get help because they don't know what's best for them? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, we know what's best. They don't know what's best. We're going to, you know, we're going to whatever, force feed them the solution, uh, as it were. Um, so let's talk about, you know, we we do have real ethical and moral dilemmas where we don't really, like, we can say the ends don't justify the means, and that's generally true, but we do live in a broken universe in which, you know, to use the classic example of if I'm in Nazi Germany, uh, you know, in 19, whatever, 40, and I'm and there's, you know, Jews in my basement. Should I tell the truth if, if the soldiers come, you know, is that lying justified? And I can, you know, I'm, I'm throwing this out there kind of knowing that this, that this objection exists, that, that it isn't always clean, that even though we have God's revelation, we don't always know what to do. And, because the world's broken, we shouldn't be in a situation like this, but we are because the world's broken. And, um, you know, one understands, you know, what the objection is, you know, you, well, it's lying. If it's lying, it's lying. Uh, how does that work? And I just, I'm not asking you for an answer. I'm just kind of pointing to the problem of having said all of this at the ends, Justin doesn't justify the means. I need to recognize that the, the, our story is a messy story and it's not all easily and you can't, it's not clean. We don't always know what to do. We don't always know what the right thing is. And that's, it, it's not clean. I don't know. That's my thought. Yeah, it's not clean. I think, um, 
uh, without trying to get into the weeds and having not thought through this last point. Um, I've thought through it, but not refreshed it. But uh, Bonhoeffer has a good book on ethics um, where he, I mean, he was in Nazi Germany and mm -hmm. had to wrestle with this question. If you could kill Hitler, would you do it? And would it be right. a sin? Right. And so similar conversation, but then also Robertson McQuilkin's book on biblical ethics uh, does a good job with the uh, just making a distinction in this conversation. So there's there's a lie and there's lies. And when is it appropriate to lie, inappropriate to lie? Um, is it always wrong to lie? And basically the, you know, tries to help you understand okay there's there's social lies like we tell how you doing mm -hmm. i'm fine right. that dress looks great on you right <laughs> yes yes right. um but what you described was also a lie to protect uh an innocent yeah. life right to protect right. To protect from danger and so yes it's a lie but you're doing it to protect someone um i think there's probably a distinction between that and then what we're talking about with sam bankman freed this this i'm lying it's not necessarily to protect an innocent life but i'm lying to try to help somebody so there has to be a distinction made that right. what is the situation um what type of lie is it and is it can you say they're all create all lies are created equal and therefore right. you know you can justify the means or not justify the means i think a lot of thought has to go into that in the ethical conversation yeah, and I think, I mean, I raised the point because I don't want to make the opposite error of, okay, I know what right is. I know what good is. They don't. I do. So there's a certain uh, fundamental amount of humility that's required because sometimes the question, the ethical and moral questions are difficult and we can trust to what we find in, in Scripture that God tells us. But sometimes it's hard to know in a certain situation and there's a certain you know, fundamental level of humility. We don't determine what's good, that we're subject to, you know, God's definition of good. And, you know, we, we all probably would um, justify lying to protect, you know, you'd say one is a greater good uh, than the other in the case of the Jews hiding, hiding in the, in the basement. Um, you know, there's a, a, there's an example of a town, I think it's in Switzerland or it's on the border where Jews were escaping through and, you know, the Christian leadership of that town, um, if I'm getting this right, you know, basically they said, we're not going to lie about it. You know, we're going to trust that God protects us and protects them. And, you know, they're, the, the story is that's what happened, that somehow, you know, they were never caught and they never had to lie. Um, and all of that to say, I don't, always know exactly what the right thing to do is. And that's sort of one of the points about effective altruism, the assumption that you you know what the right thing to do is, is, I think, incorrect. And that we know what the what's right because God has shown us and told us. And even then, since we're fallen and he's God and we're not, you know, we're not always going to get it right. It's, you know, where scripture is not clear, then especially, um, you know, we're... we're we probably should have some humility about dictating what is right. We have, we should have some humility about dictating to, uh, you know, inhabitants of sub-Saharan Africa, what their Christianity should look like. And part of, part of 
you know, when we dictate what it should look like, it's, it's arrogance on we're doing it right. We're assuming we don't even think about it. You know, there's an assumption that we're doing it right. We're going to show you how to do it. Uh, and so at the bottom of it, it's, I think there's a lack of humility. There's a lack of love and there's just a lack of understanding of who we really are in God's story. And I think all of those things are super difficult to overcome. Yeah. And, and so I think when you can have a sense of, I don't, you know, honest and humble questioning, I don't exactly know what's best for you. I don't always choose what's, even as J.K. Rowling says in Harry Potter, we have a, at the end of the first book, we have a great knack of choosing what's not best for ourselves. Yeah. You know, so right. there has to be a humility there, a request for wisdom, uh, I would think, from God. And then you're evaluating as you go along. You're trying to learn from the other person, listen to the other person. You don't assume that because your country may be developed or you may have a higher degree that there's not an equal level of intelligence on the other side. Correct. You have right. to reject right. that assumption, especially Correct. even as we progress in history to think that when well, we look back and they didn't have iPhones, you we can't explain the pyramids. So you can't assume that just because we've progressed, yeah. we're smarter. Right? right. There's a great and, and, and technology measures progression. Right. And the technology the assumption. measures progression. Right. Um, right. so when you can when you can maybe have some sense of humility in trying to serve and trying to help others and listen to them. Uh, then you are able to, I think, and this is the hard part, but then is it okay if you don't get noticed? Is it okay yeah, if right. you don't get, if it, is it okay if it doesn't feel that good for you? Sure. Is it, is it okay yeah. if you don't get a ton of satisfaction from it? Yeah. Right. right? And is it okay if it's the right. daily grind or the helping that person or, you know, serving them? Um, you just start to like die to self and lose ego and you know, you may mm -hmm. find a lot of joy in it, but what if you don't, is it still worth it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that is, I mean, that's what, that's the teaching of Christianity that if you find joy in it, it will be because God brings joy. If, if you hunt after it, you know, in a, in a transactional sense, you, you won't do either. Um, and I do think that's, I mean, to kind of finish on this note, uh, that, if this is the biblical conception of love and helping people, you know, finding the guy on the road, beating up and helping him, um, that whatever other solutions we have, you know, involving the system or involving political movements or, you know, all of those are going to be subservient to individuals uh, helping other individuals, loving them as individuals. Nothing replaces that. And I do think there's a sense in which we want to not have to do that. Whether it's in the church, we want some big program. Whether it's politics, we want to change the political things so that people are helped that way. And people might be helped that way, and the system isn't unimportant. But nothing is going to replace individuals loving other individuals, which by its very nature is costly. You have to lay down your life. You have to give something up. It takes time. It might be thankless. And that's the biblical picture we have of love. And if at the, at the end of the day, there's not going to be a substitute for that. Nothing's going to let us off that hook. And, you know, we, you know, we need to continue to be transformed. And that's the way God loved us to transform us. And so yeah, I would just leave it on that note that nothing is going to replace that. That's what we're made for. That's the story we're in. And 
hey, if you can help it scale, that's great, but uh, nothing's going to replace individual love. So I'll leave it there. Um, great conversation, Chad. It's good, all, good to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. And yeah, we'll do it again another time. Uh, and until then, grace and peace. Thanks for listening. Do you enjoy On Culture? You can support us and the content produced by subscribing to our newsletter, The Embassy, by visiting theembassy.substack.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.